0: Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dan. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Life. Thanks for reading those scriptures, guys. And today uh, today's going to be an awesome day. You guys, it's, it's, uh, it is the most wonderful time of the year now. I know Amazon has been telling you that for months now, but it's actually here, which is exciting um, where we get to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. We um, celebrate him as our forever king coming to us here um, on earth to be a God that's with us. So we're starting today a series called Christmas Light. And we're going to be in it from now until Christmas. And, and today starts Advent, the season where we uh, anticipate Jesus' coming. Of course, we already know that he's come to us. But it's a celebration all month long, celebrating who he is. And so in this series that we have, this Christmas light season uh, series, we are experiencing and re-experiencing and discovering his hope and his joy, his peace and his love in our lives. And so that's why we're here to celebrate that all December long. So I want to give you a challenge. I want to give you a challenge to be here every Sunday in December. Make your Sundays sacred. Like, we celebrate Advent. We celebrate Christmas because of Jesus, and it's so easy to be like, you know what? The the work Christmas party went too late. I don't want to get up in the morning, or my kids got this thing going on, and we just don't have time to go to church because we got to get ready for that. But I want to invite you to make Sundays sacred this month and commit to Jesus, just in your own heart. Say, Jesus, I want to experience all the things that you have for me this Christmas, so I'm going to set aside a time, set aside time for you. We, we did this in Easter as well, and I heard so much feedback from it that I just said, "Hey, we've we got to do this in, in Christmas time, too." So take that challenge, speak to God about it. I know that if you take me up on that challenge, you're going to experience the light of God in meaningful ways in your life this December. All right, I got a question for you guys. Anybody been camping before? Raise your hand, camping. Oh, so many people have been camping. That's so great. If you're online, hey, welcome. Glad you're here. Tell me where you've been online. Tell me where you go camping. Tell me where your favorite spots. My family grew up camping. Um, We loved camping. It was great. Uh, And then we were like, maybe we don't love camping so much. So we decided to get a pop-up camper to make it a little bit luxurious. Any pop-up camper people out there, maybe? No? Just me? Okay. Um, so we got a pop-up camper. I was, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, something like that, and we decided we were going to take this pop-up camper to the mountains, the Rocky Mountains, and so we put a trailer hitch on our van. It's an Aerostar van. Can I get a woo for Aerostar vans? Okay, you, you can keep those woos to yourself because I hate Aerostar vans because they ruined my childhood vacation. There it is. Um, that's not ours, don't be deceived, but it's just a picture I found on the internet. But it was like the same thing, right? It's like a truck, uh, a van built on a truck frame, it's supposed to be awesome. So we get through Iowa, we get through Nebraska, we get through the most boring state in the world, eastern Colorado, worst. Uh, and then we get halfway up the mountains and the transmission blows. So we got this camper, we've got this van, transmission blows, tow truck comes, picks up the van, says, we can't do anything about the trailer, just leave it here. So we're like, okay, we'll leave it here. And then we go all the way back down the mountain. The guy at the shop says, hey, you know what? We can get this fixed tonight. You can be on your way tomorrow. And so we're like, all right, we only lose half a day. This is good. So we get the van the next morning. We start driving up the mountain to where the camper should be and the camper is not where it should be. And so We go a little further. We look down the mountain to see if it fell off. It didn't fall off. And someone just stole it. Someone just picked it up and stole it. Everything that we owned was in there. We had our clothes. We had, I mean, not owned, but brought. Uh, Clothes, food, camping supplies, everything gone. So we just went home. We went home the next day. We had no other choice. So 2023, a few years later, Liz says, hey, Dan, let's get a pop-up camper. Liz is my wife. She says, let's get a pop-up camper. I said, oh, I like pop-up campers. That's cool. We should get one. I had good memories. and she said, oh, and we should hook it up to our van and go to the mountains. And I didn't realize how much trauma I had until she said that, where I was like, we can't do that. But she convinced me. We decided to do it. I did everything possible to our van I put uh, transmission cooler on it. I changed the transmission fluid. I, I mean, I did everything, new, new tires, new brakes, everything to our van. I said, this is going to make it. So we decided to go to the Badlands, Yellowstone, and the Tetons, a little loop there. So we get to the Badlands, and we're okay. We make it. Like, it's not that hard, pretty flat ground right there, and then we got to go over the Black Hills. You guys been to the Black Hills before? Are there? They're mountainish, right? They're, they're pretty good size. And so every little noise the van makes, I'm just like, what was that? You know, like, what's going on here? And then come the Bighorn Sheep uh, National Forest. That, that forest has, like, 13,000-foot mountains. Obviously, we're not going over the peaks of them, but we're driving through these huge mountains. And I just, all I could do was white-knuckle steer. No one could talk to me up these mountains. Like, I was just, like, on the road ready to conquer this mountain. And I could not relax until we arrived in the Yellowstone Valley and the buffalo were there to greet us and the geysers were going off and all those beautiful things. I could finally relax. I didn't care about getting home. I'm just glad that we made it there. The whole time we were driving, the whole time, all I could think of was just hope. I just hope that we can make it. I hope that we can get over these mountains. That's all I could do. I couldn't do anything else but hope. And so today, our passage in this first Sunday in Advent is the surprising collision in the Bible that we just read about in Isaiah of hope and mountains. And for Isaiah, hope actually is a mountain. Hope is the mountain of the Lord's temple, the highest of the mountains where all the nations will stream And it's the hope of all mankind. Hope is a mountain today. Hope is not uh, Dan's wishful thinking to redeem a childhood vacation, although that's great. But hope, real hope, the hope that gets us through our darkest times and spurs us on in some of our greatest times is the hope of Jesus' certain redeeming mountain. Now, before we get back into the passage in Isaiah, let me just say a couple things about why mountains are important in Scripture. If we're reading like the people read back then, in the time of the people receiving it, mountains were places that reached heaven. They were seen as divine places. They were a place to encounter God. And so that's why you see temples built on mountains, It's why uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments on a mountain, and Jesus was transfigured on a mountain. And then you can also just, today, mountains are a helpful metaphor. Mountains are solid, unmoving. No matter the rain or the winds or the weather, like, nothing's going to take down a mountain. And so, too, nothing can take down the mountain of God's hope. Mountains are durable. They're going to outlast us. They're going to outlast our children. And so hope is an eternal hope that will last. Another way that we can draw a metaphor from the mountains is the way that they're the world's water towers. You know that up to 80% of the fresh water in the world comes from mountains. Mountains. You know, that's why it seems like every couple of years, right, we turn on the news in Los Angeles, like national news, is that Los Angeles is running out of water because there wasn't enough snow in the mountains this winter, right? Uh, Tokyo depends on its mountains to, to feed itself. And then you also have, like in the ancient times, the, the Roman aqueducts, they were connected to mountains, and they would deliver water to Rome. So we can't live without water. We can't live without the hope of a mountain. The prophet Isaiah teaches us about how mountains, about this mountain of the hope of the Lord this morning. So I want to read this passage again. and, And this time, as you hear it, listen for the mountains. Listen to what the people are doing. Listen to what God is doing. This is Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. I'm going to start in verse 2. In the last days on the mountain of the Lord's temple, Will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So why is is hope a mountain, or why is a mountain hope in this scripture? I'm going to give you three reasons today. And the first one is that because the mountain of God is the new Eden. It's the new Eden. We, we read right here again in um, verse 2 that all the nations will stream to it. People will come to it and say, God, teach us your ways. Now, the Hebrew word stream is the same word that's for rivers. So when it says these people will stream to it, it's also uh, putting in a picture of a river, also, um, these streams are like the rivers that flowed out of the headwaters of Eden. There is four rivers. If you read in Genesis two, uh, there's four rivers that flowed out of Eden that that gave life to the world. And so then Eden was open; it wasn't barred. Adam and Eve were were walking beautifully in the garden in Eden, and so it was meant to be the source of life and nourishment for the lands that surrounded it. But now after the fall, after Adam Adam and Eve chose to do their own way and not God's way, Eden was closed. But here in Isaiah, there's this clear poetic picture of uh, Isaiah, in Isaiah, of of rivers. Uh, This time, the rivers of humanity, here's, here's what's amazing, the rivers of humanity are streaming to the mountain. Instead of The water coming out of Eden, the humanity is streaming up to learn from God. Here's Isaiah saying that the curse is being reversed and a new Eden is in view. So why is this such good news? Why is this hopeful? I mean, what's more hopeful than the original intent that God had for us? where there's a free invitation to come learn from him, a free invitation to walk in his ways. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've experienced, the mountain of hope is where everyone is welcomed and where everyone is wanted. And this is both our now and our future. The mountain is where everyone is welcome, is where there's room for everyone in the Lord. A lot of times in the vineyard we like to say we live in the now and not yet of the kingdom. Because we have Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit in our lives today. And so we can experience his hope and his love and his peace and his joy today. But if you turn on the news, you're going to see that there's not complete peace like this mountain talks about. We're still waiting for that. We're still praying for that. And so that will come when Jesus comes again. But we can experience tastes of that now and we look forward to its perfect future. There's another passage about this new Eden in Scripture. This is in Revelation 21. It says, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives us its light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nation will walk by its light. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus, the Lamb, is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. It's a bright city drawing people in. Anyone who wants to come can come. Can you imagine like the nations of the world today walking in the light of God, seeking his wisdom, loving each other because God first loved them first, walking in God's peace because they've experienced God's peace, because Jesus has overcome hate and hostility. Because of Jesus humbly come to us, we can have this now. We can have this peace. We can hope for and anticipate its completion, and we can also experience some of it now. So, hope is a mountain because the mountain of God is the new Eden, where we live in step with God and in step with each other. Here's the second reason that hope is a mountain. Because the mountain is where we learn to be human. It's where we learn from God. We learn who we really are, what it, what it means to have life to the fullest, what it means to have life abundantly. Isaiah describes this as he writes about, the, uh, about people. And he says, <clears throat> The people are saying, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Let's go see God. Let's let's go see what he has for us, and we can learn from him. Now, this is true of mountaintop experiences today, isn't it? Like, I just mean, like, going to the mountains, going to the wilderness. It's true of that today. Like, people seek out physical mountains to learn something about themselves. You know, Liz and I, uh, we used to lead and facilitate wilderness trips for a Christian college in our mid to late 20s. So last year. Last year is when we did that. And, um, you know, we, we would do these trips with people that would set aside weeks of their life to go live a, apart from comfort and just seek God's will for their lives. You know, like they'd put away everything else and go seek. It was almost as if they were saying kind of what we're reading in Isaiah. They would say, let's, let's go learn from God. Let's set everything aside. God's so important in our lives. Let's go learn from him, learn for what he has for us. And so they were kind of echoing what these people in Isaiah are saying. And they would come back, these people would come back from their trips, and I would come back from my trips just like with a brand new fresh vision of what God would do for me and has for me in his life, for my life. And so these mountains don't just teach us something in the natural, but they also teach us something in the spiritual. The mountain of the Lord in Isaiah is where God teaches us his ways that we might walk in his path. And it's his light that's bringing people towards himself. The mountain of the the temple in this passage is where our teacher is, the good teacher, who teaches us how to walk in his ways. So here again, this is how uh, Eden is reversed. Like, can't you imagine God and Adam and Eve like walking around the garden and, and God saying, hey, look at this fruit I made. This is really cool. Don't eat the outside. You gotta peel it first and then, and then you can eat the good stuff inside Adam. What do you want to call it? And I was like, a banana, you know? So like, God's teaching them how to live. He's teaching them what to do, what not to do in order to flourish, to, to have an abundant life, to be fully human. God's walking with his people in Eden. And this is all coming back. In the new Eden, we have been made in his image. We're going back to the beauty of the intimacy with God. We walk in the garden with him. We walk in his path. We have no shame. We have no fear. It's just like it was at the beginning. Back to Revelation, this time a little bit different passage in verse 20, uh, chapter 22. It says they will see his face. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them his light. He will teach us how to live properly. He will give us His light, so that we can be light as well. To love well, to be wise, to be faithful. So, this is how we learn to be human. The world would tell us that we we learn how to be human just from instinct, or, you know, a mix of stories competing with us to tell us how we should be happy. And so, how do we choose? How do we choose which story? And we don't have to ask what, we don't have to ask which one, we ask who. Who do I learn from? And we turn to Jesus and he tells us. It's the teacher who teaches us how to be human. We go to him. We learn from him. I think of what it means to be part uh, that this mountain, as Isaiah says, is exalted over all the others. Is that his truth is higher. That we don't have to look at the other hills and say, yeah, uh, maybe I should follow that. We just follow Jesus. It's so far above everything else. And all the other temples and shrines, they don't need to have as much as an, of an impact on our lives. Every other competing story will look like a hill compared to this mountain. It'll look like darkness compared to God's light. And it's only on the mountain of the Lord, learning from the good teacher, that we truly learn what it is to be human. The third reason hope is a mountain it's because the mountain is where all enmity dies, all hate, all, all disagreements, all disdain for each other. It all dies there because God brings his peace. Again, even like natural mountains do that, right? Like if you go, if you read some of these stories of, of guys who have like traveled all from different backgrounds and they go to the mountains and they overcome these huge problems, right? And then they all come out bonded. When Liz and I were uh, leading those wilderness trips, um, I was facilitating one, and I drove these guys. It was two, uh, two college seniors and eight college freshmen. They didn't know each other very well at all. I drove them to Lake Superior Hiking Trail, beautiful hiking trail, looks over Lake Superior, goes through these almost mountains. They're really just hills, but don't tell anybody, because they like to call them mountains in Minnesota. And... Um, And so they would hike through here. They're going to be gone for about seven days. And so I drove them there. I dropped them off. I said, see you guys. Have a good trip. See you in seven days. You know, there's no cell phone signal out there at all. I get back to camp, and a couple days, uh, a day later, I walk into the walk-in fridge, and I see three boxes of food marked Lake Superior Hiking Trail Trip. And I'm like, oh, No, I forgot to give them one third of their food. They don't have it. And so shortly after that, like while I'm still panicking, they do manage to call me. The call keeps dropping and all I can say to them is we're bringing you your food. We're meeting you at this point. Like that's all that we can really communicate. And so we have their map of where they're going to be, you know. So we, we drop off their food. I don't hear from them again until they get back, and they come back, and they're like, damn, that was awesome! We loved it! Because they had noticed right away that they were short on food their first night. And they said, well, let's, let's ration this out. They could have gone to town, you know, like hiked into a town and called me to come pick them up. But they said, no, we're doing this. They rationed their food out. And so by the time, two days later, when we got them their food, they were just like, we're good. And they ate like kings for the rest of the trip. They even had a kid uh, on their trip that knew how to boil crawfish. And so uh, they would gather all the crawfish in the streams that they could, and then they'd boil them up and have a great, a great crawfish boil. So they were great. I've never seen a, a, a group of people be so bonded after such a difficult experience. They experienced that. In fact, the two leaders they live together to this day with their families. They're doing like a small commune thing. And it's all thanks to me. So <laughs> my horrible failures. But you know, in the new Eden, the reason why we can have hope isn't because uh, Dan puts you through heavy trials because he forgot your food. We, we are, we are uh, worshiping God together. We don't have to like be brought to our knees through, through punishment and trial. We achieve pleasing, uh, we, we achieve unity with each other, with mankind, because of the new Eden, because of where we are, because we're learning from God, and He, he will settle disputes for us and with us. In other words, He's going to unite us as people. For the people seeking the mountain, wanting to live in His light, this isn't a condemnation kind of judgment, it's a peace bringing judgment to settle disputes between people that are seeking his light. Uh, author Jacques Aloul helpfully says on this topic, he says, Words of judgment, when correctly understood, are words of liberation for everyone. They are words of hope which certify the love of God. So words of hope on the mountain of the love of God. That's what we have. And so as a result, we start reading in Isaiah more about peace. So God brings the peace with his judgment. And then we read more about peace, how the people ex- receive that and say, all right, now we're going to be people of peace. And they beat their swords into plowshares. They turn their spears into pruning hooks. And so the mountain is where dark, the darkness of humanity and conflict go to die. Conflict, war, it all ends there. Instruments of war are converted into the instruments of peacetime and prosperity. Like you need a pruning hook to, to develop fruit. You know, so we're going to be making fruit together, spiritual fruit. Again, the new Eden here in Isaiah is reversing the curse. You know, Cain wanted a shortcut to God's blessing. And when he didn't get it, he took that out on his brother, killed his brother. And on the mountain of the Lord, Cain's weapon returns to a tool of peace and prosperity. Enmity, because of Jesus, is overcome. The mountain is where the tools of hate become unnecessary. Because there's no more need for power to dominate. Jesus has made peace the rule of the mountain. And so, how do we hold on to that hope? How do we hold on that that hope is a mountain? How do we do that? Isaiah tells us right at the end, he says, Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. That might be the most important point for us today, to walk in the light. Luke 1, 76-79, it is a looking forward to uh, to John, John the Baptist, uh, who ends up... um, Baptizing Jesus and, and making the way for him. So it starts out talking about John at the beginning, and then at the end it starts talking about Jesus. So, uh, and you, my little son, who's talking about John, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you'll prepare the way for the Lord. That's Jesus. You'll tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. And this is all about Jesus because God's tender mercy. Do you know how God has tender mercy for you? Tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. That's Jesus coming. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And guide us to the path of peace. Sounds similar to Isaiah about us learning to walk on God's peaceful paths. And so it's in his light that, that pierces the darkness. It's his light that cannot be overcome. And then John, this is a different John, at the beginning of his gospel, he says this in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So how do we walk in the light of the Lord? We walk in the light of the Lord. We take his hand. We say yes to him. We say yes to the the stream of humanity, streaming back to God, to the mountain, learning from him, knowing and finding our way through Jesus, walking with God again like in Eden is possible because of Jesus come to us. Jesus' life and death and resurrection has now made it possible that we can live life with him, being people of peace. We look forward to the perfect peace that's coming, but right now we look to Jesus' example to be the best kind of peaceful people that we can. His promise to you and me is that, um, is that no valley cannot be there's no valley that can't be flooded with his light. There's no trouble, no hardship, no persecution, no famine, and no war that can overcome his light. There's nothing His light cannot overcome. And so it's for this future and this present that we welcome and celebrate the light of Jesus this Christmas. Jesus, come to us. We get to see for ourselves Jesus' hope, His love, His joy, and His peace in our own lives today. We get to live a life that's with Jesus. Now, but remember... It's not just receiving the light, it's also walking in the light. And so, as we close, I just want to give you these three thoughts and three questions for you to think about. And if any of them strike kind of in your heart, like, ooh, that one kind of gets me, like, go to Jesus with it. Say, Jesus, teach me how to do this, teach me how to grow in this. And so, if hope is a mountain that's a blessing for all the nations, How are you blessing the people around you? Number two, if hope is a mountain that teaches us how to walk in the paths of God, how are you right now learning from the good teacher? You're already here, which is great. You're doing that here in church. Like, we're worshiping together. We're learning that way. We're learning from each other. I love seeing everyone pray for each other. That's a beautiful way. But how how are you learning from God? And if hope is a mountain where Jesus' perfect peace is poured out to the world, how are you letting your enmities die? And how are you embracing your calling as a person of Jesus, as a person of peace? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for your mountain of hope. Your mountain that sets all things right. And we just ask for that today. We ask that you would start doing that in our lives today, that the broken things in our lives would be healed by you. So Jesus, we say yes to you. We say yes to your ways. We ask for forgiveness for the ways that we've turned our back on you. And then we receive your forgiveness. We thank you for your forgiveness every single time. Jesus, help us to be people that bless. Help us be uh, people that learn from you. And help us be people... Let's seek your peace in every area of our lives. Jesus, we love you. Amen. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org.